Luke 22, and it's now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the 12. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them it might be that would do this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? the one who was at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who was at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Please leave your Bibles open there at Luke 22. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would guide us through your word this morning. We pray that you would quieten our hearts, that we would cease in your presence this morning and reflect on what you have done for us through your son. Lord, convict us of our sin, that we might see the wonders of your mercy. Lord, renew our minds today in the wonderful news of what Christ has done for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. An elderly man once said, I know that I'm old because I can't remember three things. The first is I can't remember names, I can't remember faces, and I can't remember the third thing that I can't remember. Have you ever noticed how hard it can be to remember somebody's name if you've only just met them, maybe in passing or, or just for the very first time? Maybe it's just me, but I imagine I'm not the only one who struggles to remember somebody's name for the very first time. I often envy those people that can hear somebody's name for the first time and then just hold on to it and never forget it. Some people have incredible memories, but the rest of us have to work really hard to remember things like somebody's name. There are so many things going on when you meet somebody for the first time. You're trying to find out where they came from, anybody that you might know that they know, you're trying to gain some sort of understanding of who they are, even if it's only preliminary. And along with all of that, you're trying to gauge how much they want to talk to you or whether they're just being nice. With all these things going on, it can be easy to forget the name of that person that you've just met. There are lots of things that we can find hard to remember, but there are also lots of things that we can struggle to forget. It's not so easy to forget the hard times in our lives and the struggles that we face in our lives. It's not so easy to forget those who have wronged us or caused us pain. And it's strange, isn't it? How easy it can be to remember those hard things and yet sometimes how hard it is to remember the good things that God has done for us. But as we look at these verses today, the God who never forgets anything is teaching us how to remember his love, his mercy and his grace in passing over our sins. We've all shared in the Lord's Supper many, many times on lots of different occasions. And sometimes because of this familiarity, uh, this ceremony of remembrance can 
We can sometimes skip over it, can't we? We can sometimes take it for granted. But the Lord's Supper is far more than a short ceremony that we do just before we go off and enjoy morning tea. In the Lord's Supper, we remember God's faithfulness in the past, in the present, and in the future. Now, usually, when we begin looking at a passage, we start in verse 1. But this morning, well, this morning's passage really starts in Exodus chapter 12. The backdrop to everything that's going on here in Luke 22 is the Jewish Passover festival. In the lead up to Exodus 12, God had called Moses through the bush that wasn't burning, and he'd called Moses to come and lead his people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. But despite all these miraculous signs and wonders, Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. So the Lord, after giving many different wondrous signs, gave him one last sign. But as God sent this final and most serious judgment on the people of Egypt, he gave these instructions to his own people, the nation of Israel. Everyone was to take a one-year-old lamb without defect and slaughter it for his household. Then they were to take some of the blood and put it around the door frames of their house. And they were to eat the lamb in the house that they had slaughtered it. And they would eat it with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Now, these bitter herbs symbolise the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. And this bread made without yeast was to symbolise the urgency, the, the hurry of how they left the land of Egypt. And that night, God struck the firstborn of all in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh's own household to the firstborn of the livestock, every firstborn in the land of Egypt died except those from amongst God's people, those who had had their door frames covered by the blood of the lamb. And this is what the people of Israel are here celebrating in Luke 22. They were celebrating the time when God's judgment passed over them because of the blood of the lamb. But just like the Lord's Supper, it's quite likely that many of the people of Israel had begun to take the Passover for granted. And one such person who was certainly doing that was a man named Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas was a man who loved money far more than anything else. And so it's very likely that he scoffed at Jesus back in Luke 21, when he had commended the poor widow for putting in just two small copper coins. John chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that Judas was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used, to put, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And so as the rest of Israel were preparing to remember God's judgment passing over them, because of the blood of the lamb, Judas was sneaking off to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He was trying to find a way to make himself rich by betraying Jesus. Now, verse 3 tells us 
that Satan entered Judas. Luke doesn't explain what sort of possession this was, whether this was a full-on demon possession or whether Satan was just tempting Judas to do what he already wanted to do. What we do know is that Judas was no innocent victim. He was already tempted to head down this path already. And so as Judas met with the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they happily, joyfully agreed to pay him 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. While all this was going on, Jesus was preparing to share the Passover meal with his disciples. And he was eager to do this because he wanted them to understand that the Passover celebrations all point forward to the ultimate sacrificial lamb. This is a remarkable picture of Christ's love for his people. See, verse 21 tells us that Jesus was well aware that Judas was off preparing to betray him. And verses 31 to 34 tell us that he was well aware that Peter would soon publicly deny him three times. And Jesus would have also been aware about, of what was about to take place in verse 24, that in just a few moments' time, the rest of the disciples would all be arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. But while Jesus was well aware that all these things were going on in the background, he was also well aware that he was about to suffer and be crucified at the hands of sinners, that he would soon take his place as the ultimate Passover lamb. And yet while everyone around Jesus was focused on their own interests, Jesus, knowing that he would soon be arrested, beaten and crucified, was eagerly desiring to give his followers a symbol of his love for them, something for them to hold on to once he had gone, something for them to remember why he came. And so Jesus sent Peter and John to go and make preparations. And they went to the place where they would celebrate the Passover and they found everything just as Jesus said it would be. When the time came for Jesus to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, Jesus took the first cup of the Passover, gave thanks and told his disciples to share it among them. In the Jewish Passover festival, there are actually four cups. But interestingly, Luke is the only one of the Gospels that mentions more than one. This first cup was shared around before the Passover meal. Jesus then broke the bread and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they shared the Passover meal together. There would have been lamb in that, obviously, because the, the Passover lamb would have been slaughtered. And they would have also eaten those bitter herbs and unleavened bread. Jesus said, as they were eating this, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, after that meal, 
Jesus took the final cup. This cup, he said, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. By saying these words, Jesus was identifying himself as the ultimate Passover lamb. He was saying the Passover festival all speaks about me. And when the disciples heard this for the first time, this must have sounded really, really strange to them. Why would his body be broken? Why would his blood be poured out? How could he be the Passover lamb? But what Jesus was doing was giving them these symbols to look back on after he was gone, to help them remember the significance of why or what it is that he came to do. But more than that, he was encouraging them to look forward to the future fulfilment of God's kingdom. Jesus says twice, first in verse 16 and then in verse 18, that this will be the Last Supper until the one day when he eats this meal anew in the kingdom of God. This celebration was far more than a reminder of God passing over the sins of Israel and judging Egypt as they were brought into the land. This was a celebration of what Jesus was about to do in laying down his life so that God's wrath might be turned away from us through the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb. The Lord's Supper points us back to the faithfulness of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and fulfilling his promise or covenant to bring the descendants of Abraham into the promised land, out of slavery and into the promised land. God brought the nation of Israel out of slavery by signs and wonders. And as God's judgment passed over the people of Israel, he passed over the guilt of his own people because their door frames were covered by the blood of the Lamb. The Lord's Supper also points us to the cross, the epicenter of what Christ came to do as he established the new and far better covenant for his people. As Hebrews chapter 9 says, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. When Christ laid down his life in our place and was lifted up on the cross, he took our place, dying the death of a criminal for the sins that we have committed. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed on our behalf so that the wrath of God, the judgment of God might pass over our sins because of the ultimate Passover lamb. But the Lord's Supper isn't just about the past and the cross, it's also about our present. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is the great reality 
for all who have had their sins covered by the blood of the Lamb. We are no longer living condemned by God. Now, none of us are perfect. We all sin on a daily basis. But if we trust that our sins have been covered by the perfect blood of Jesus, our failures no longer separate us from God. And God's spirit is working in us, making us more and more like Christ. The Lord's Supper points us back to Egypt, to God's faithfulness. It points us back to the cross and it points us to our present reality. The Lord's Supper also points us forward to the future hope we have in Christ Jesus. As Jesus gave his followers the gift of the Lord's Supper, he twice pointed them forward to the day when we will one day share of this meal anew in the kingdom of God in the presence of God, in the physical presence of God. This is the same hope that Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 speaks of, the time when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, when there will be no more death or crying or mourning, for the old order of things will have passed away, when God has reversed all of the fallenness and brought us into his perfect presence forever. Because most of us have celebrated the Lord's Supper many, many times. It's easy to take the good news of the Lord's Supper for granted. It's easy to become distracted in the quietness of the moment and to eat and drink the elements without thinking too hard, forgetting the significance of what Jesus did for you and for me. But this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, may we remember his hope, this hope, that changes our past, our present, and our future. Because Jesus, our Saviour, covered our sins. He took on God's wrath on himself when he became our ultimate Passover lamb. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we have often partaken of the Lord's Supper and in the busyness and stress of our week in all of the concerns of daily life, we have not taken on board the depth of what you have done for us in laying down your life in our place. Lord, we pray this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper that we would be reminded of what you have done for us, that we would acknowledge our guilt before you, that we would understand that we too have fallen short, but that we might also rest in the hope that you have secured through your blood being shed in our place. And Lord, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.